Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. You guys can start heading over there now. Exodus 32 verses 1 through 20 will be the focus. Um, And what we're going to be doing today is looking at a moment that probably a lot of you guys are familiar with. It's a little different than the past weeks. Um, Some of the other texts have been ones that people don't really hear, um, that you definitely don't learn about in Sunday school. Um, This week, we're talking about something that you probably did read in Sunday school, but I'm willing to bet you probably didn't fully understand what was going on um, when you first heard this story. Um, it's, it's strange for different reasons than the normal. This is the story of Israel worshiping a golden calf. So raise your hand if you're familiar with that story. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Um, I know for me, this has always been a, <laughs> a scripture that's bugged me, to be honest. Um, when I've read this over the course of my life, it makes me a little annoyed every single time. Because I look at this moment and it seems so nonsensical what the people of Israel would do. Um, how after all of these incredible miracles that they'd seen, um, that they would then go worship this hunk of gold turned into a cow. And because it's made no sense to me, because it's so ridiculous, that's why we titled today's message, God is great, but have you seen the cow? Um, that's how it feels. It's like ridiculous and absurd. Now, to kind of get you guys set up um, to really understand what we're going to be focusing in on, I just want to give you guys a lightning summary of what happened before what we read today. So basically, <clears throat> all of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Um, they're being oppressed, and they're having a real hard time. But God sends this guy named Moses, um, who probably we are all a little familiar with at least. Um, he sends this guy, Moses, who he selects to be his messenger and representative um, before the people of Egypt, so the Pharaoh, as well as the people of Israel. So to the Pharaoh, he's the one who's saying, hey, this is what our God wants. You need to give in to these desires and these demands. If not, there's going to be problems. And for the people of Israel, Moses' job is to say, hey, this is who our God is. This is the way he wants us to live and what he wants us to do. So Moses goes and does that. And um, some interesting stuff happens. God sends these 10 miraculous, powerful plagues. 10 of them take place. You're probably familiar with them. Bugs, blood, gnats, frogs, all the stuff culminates with the uh, um, death of all the firstborn children. Um, there's, there's other stuff in there as well, but God shows himself very evidently in all of that. Now that, after all this, Pharaoh frees the people. He gives in, but he has a change of heart pretty rapidly, and he decides he's going to go after them after the people have left. So during that time, as the people have left, God protects the people of Israel powerfully through a pillar of fire at night as they walk through the desert and through a pillar of cloud during the day. Um, He's guarding them. He leads them to the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies are coming up on them. And God, again, miraculously splits the Red Sea in half, lets the people of Israel walk across it on dry land as the Egyptians (coughs) are pursuing him or pursuing them. Um, God allows the waters to come back and wipes out the Egyptian army. So he protects Israel, and he shows his power over this powerful um, people that he's just displayed that he is greater than. So all of that happens. Now they're out in the desert. They need to survive. What does God do? Another miracle. Sends manna from heaven to provide food, um, allows water to flow from a rock that Moses slaps, and they get drinking water. They're able to survive. All of that takes place. 
Next thing, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God gives them the Ten Commandments. Okay? They get the Ten Commandments, ten things. Hey, this is what you guys need to be obedient to. This is how I want you guys to live. And then he also makes his covenant with them, or his promise. So he's saying, if you walk with me, you will be my chosen people, and I'm going to be with you for all eternity. So the people agree. They say, we'll obey everything, and we'll do exactly as you said. We'll be your people. So they do all of that. (coughs) They do all of that stuff. And Moses then goes up again to the mountain to get more instructions from God about what the next steps for their nation is going to be. Now that is what leads us to our text today. That's where we're jumping in. That's all the backstory you need to know um, as we head into this. Devin, if you want to read for us verses 1 through 8. Yeah, so we'll, we'll start with just the beginning part of uh, chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf. And have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So that's our text today. Um, They're the first portion of it. Um, A lot of weird stuff kind of starts to take place, strange things that we're seeing. Um, And again, kind of like what I was mentioned with you guys earlier, this has always kind of stumbled me when I've read this. Just like, why? Why would you do that? To be honest, when I read this, I just feel like, are these a bunch of morons? Like a bunch of idiots in this desert? All, again, all of the stuff they saw in the wilderness, all of the incredible wonders, the power of God. And then you see this, worshiping a cow made of gold. It's like, how does that happen? But yeah. the thing is, yeah. yeah and you, th- you think about it too, and like one of the plagues God had brought was he killed all of the livestock. He killed the cows in Egypt, and then the Israelites decide to make a cow to worship. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, the whole thing is just seems nonsensical, like I said earlier. It just doesn't make sense. But just like every other week, as we've studied all these different different texts and these different kind of odd, strange moments in the Bible, um, there's a lot more going on there than we think. And I'm willing to bet almost all you guys raised your hands. You said you knew the story. I'm almost willing to guarantee that a lot of what we're going to talk about today, you may never have heard before. You may never have realized was actually there under the surface. So Let's go ahead and kind of start breaking it down. Let's kind of see where things go. So the problems all begin, like it said right there in verse 1. It begins because it said that Moses delayed coming down off the mountain. So like we said, Moses earlier, he had had this moment. They had already received all the Ten Commandments, and now he goes back up the mountain um, to, to gain some, some more stuff. And 
In Exodus 24, 18, it told us, actually, that when he went up there, he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So, interestingly, one, if it is 40 days and 40 nights, it's a long time, over a month. Um, but also, 40 days and 40 nights, that terminology was pretty common. It was like a, a, just a, a way that you could say a long time. It was like a common just expression to mean it, it, he was a, gone for a very long while. So in this case, 40 days, 40 nights, we don't know exactly how long. Could have been actually 40 days. We just know he was there for a while. Now, the reason he's up there is because Moses is learning from God. God is teaching Moses how the people of Israel were to worship. So we learn that if you go back later, you can read it yourself. Um, Chapter 24, verse 12, when God calls him up, he says, hey, come up that I might instruct you so that you might instruct the people. So what he's instructing Moses in up on this mountain is actually the way that the people of Israel are supposed to worship God. So what that is going to include is the tabernacle, so the tent where God's going to meet the people, the way the priests are supposed to dress, the way they're supposed to function, the way offerings and sacrifices are supposed to be done, the way that obedience is to work within the nation, the way people are supposed to live and behave amongst one another, and the way that they're to build relationship with God. That's all the stuff that Moses is being taught by God when he's up on this mountain. Now, it's important to notice Moses is the guy who's supposed to be teaching the people all this stuff. So it's very complicated and complex. For Moses, he's going to have to be up there for a while because he needs to know this stuff backwards and forwards because he's got to be able to communicate it clearly and then stay on top of it so that the people adhere to it very well. So that's why Moses is up there. Moses is up there and it says that he delayed. So Moses, in that delaying, um, the people start to get stirred up. It says that the people start to take matters into their own hands and they start to go out of their way to ask um, Aaron for something. Yeah, and all, all this morning, we're gonna, you're going to see that contrast between what's happening with Moses up on the mountain and what the people are doing uh, down with Aaron, right? And that word delayed, it, it's interesting. It's, it's the Hebrew word for shame, right? So it's kind of weird, but the idea there is that the people feel that Moses is shaming them by making them wait so long, right? That, that he is disrespecting them by making them wait. God had spoken directly to the Israelites. A.J. mentioned this. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the covenant with them, right? In Exodus 20, it says that now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Right? So, so they were afraid. They sent Moses up. They didn't want to be in God's presence like that. But again, 40 days, it's a long time. It's long enough for that fear to, to kind of fade away and for them to get impatient and start to wonder, where is Moses? Why is he not come? Uh, we're supposed to be God's people. Why is Moses disrespecting us and not, not sharing God's instructions with us, right? So they take matters into their own hands. Yeah, and I even think with that idea of shame, it's almost like they are ashamed a little bit because actually God did invite the people to come be with him. And they said, no, don't do that. We don't want that. You just go. So it's almost like in this moment when Moses is up there for that prolonged amount of time, like Devin said, it's like this, oh, Moses is disrespecting us because we didn't have the courage to actually come into the presence of God or we didn't want to come forward. Now this waiting time is making us feel ashamed for the choices we made. So they, they do just 
what they did. They, they take matters into their own hands. They go before Aaron, and Aaron is supposed to be the temporary leader right now. While Moses is out, Aaron's supposed to be watching over the people and guiding them and making sure they stay on track. So Aaron is standing there. The people come before him, and they say to him, Up, Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. And then Aaron, what he does is he listens, which he shouldn't have done, and he takes all of the gold from the people, which as a little side note, was miraculously given to the people earlier because when they left, Israel, when they left Egypt, um, God stirred the hearts of the people of Egypt to give over all of their gold and their jewelry to the people of Israel when they left. So the Egyptians gave all that gold, and that was to be used for the glory of God, but they take all that gold, and then they go say, hey, here you go, Aaron, make us this golden calf. So Aaron takes the, the gold, and he does just that. It says he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he makes this calf for them. Now, the calf is very interesting. I know you had a lot to share on that. Yeah, th- there's so much here, right? So you can ask the question, why, why a calf? It's, it's kind of weird, right? It's a, it's a weird thing to worship. Um, really, the, the word there is better translated young bull, right? So a bull represented strength. The strength of God, right? So there, there's a few different ideas of what this, this golden calf could have been. Uh, one of them is that in Egypt, they had this god that, that was a bull god, bull god called Apis. Uh, we have some pictures, I think, that might go up on the screen. Yeah, so on the left there, you can see a statue of, of the bull god Apis. Um, so they could have been pulling from where they were at in Egypt and, and just making an idol to, to worship this god, right? Um, but also, uh, I think more likely, we'll get to why, but bulls at the time, they represented often like a throne or a, a pedestal for the god to stand on. So on the right there, you can see a few different stone carvings, I guess, of, uh, of the god standing on the bull, right? And the bull was in between the people on earth and the god in heaven. And it represented the power and, and the strength of the god, right? And what's interesting is, that was what Moses was for the people, right? Moses was in between the people and God. Moses carried the power of God. God performed the miracles that he did through, through Moses' working, right? But he was gone, and he was disrespecting them, and, and he was making them wait to hear. So they pull from the, the culture that they had come out of, and they make a replacement for Moses when they thought they could control. Um, I also think it's important to take a minute to, to recognize we don't really— do this kind of thing anymore, right? I don't think many of you guys go out in your backyard and look across the fence at your neighbor and see him back there, like, fashioning a golden calf, like, that he's going to bow down to, you know? Like, that's, this is not something that, that happens. But that doesn't mean that idolatry is any less prevalent today. An idol is anything that we would value above God. It could be anything. It could be our career, money, success, a relationship. I think a lot of the times, ultimately, it's ourselves. We, we value ourselves and what we want and what we, what we desire above God. Um, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is it that we devote our life to? If the answer is anything besides God, then that is an idol in your life. And it, we have to be careful. We, we, we have to answer this question honestly, right? We're, we're going to get to it, but it says that Aaron said that the next day was going to be a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh, right? The Israelites thought they were worshiping God, um, but they fooled themselves into that. They, they deluded themselves into thinking that they were worshiping Yahweh. Um, 
And I think a lot of times we can do, we can do the same thing in our lives, where we think, well, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and I go to church, and I do all these great things. I must be worshiping God. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're doing that because of what it gives us and what we think we get out of it. Um, so be thinking. Be thinking all throughout while we're talking. What idols might be present in your life? What are you devoted to? Yeah, so with this whole gold calf situation that we're reading about, um, there's a lot going on, and we're going to get more into it here. But what we do know for sure at this point in, in what we've read is that the decision that people have made is definitely breaking God's commandments, um, the ones that he gave them. Out of those Ten Commandments, at least one of them, possibly two. Um, I think definitely one, though, very specifically. Um, the first two commandments, actually. So the first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. It sounds like they're breaking that because he asked them, or the people asked him, make us gods who shall go before us. So it seems like first commandment could definitely be getting broke there. Um, the second commandment is that you shall make no idols. Um, specifically idols that are made that represent or look like land creatures or sea creatures or animals that fly. Um, not, no idols that represent or look like those things. Well, they definitely did that. The cow is the land animal. So they definitely broke the second commandment. Um, they for sure have. So what's interesting about that is amongst those possibly two commandments they broke, they definitely broke one, but they're also breaking their covenant agreement. That they would say, hey, yeah, we will enter into this promise with you that we are going to be your people and be obedient. So it's not just the one commandment that they're breaking. It's the covenant itself that they've broken by doing this stuff. So what happens next is after the calf is made is Aaron takes that calf and then he builds an altar in front of it for sacrificing. And then after that, he says um, that he proclaimed a feast to the Lord. Now, Devin kind of alluded to this already. But this is where things get very interesting. And this is where my perspective honestly got very changed on what I used to think about when I read this text. Because Aaron's words are odd. What he says is not what you'd expect. They just made this calf that they're going to worship now. But then what Aaron actually speaks is he says, we're going to have a feast to the Lord. The word Lord there means Yahweh. That's God. That's the God that they are supposed to be worshiping. So what you see there is what we're witnessing is Israel attempting to insert their own plans for worship of God. So what that shows us is that the calf wasn't replacing God. Like Devin said earlier, the calf was actually replacing Moses. And when you think about that and you understand that, that changes a lot of things about what's actually happening right now. So all this stuff kind of takes place. The people, what we notice there is they desire God. They do. They want to have this like connection and relation, relationship to God. They're able to recognize that this God that they were following is a powerful, um, intense God who is different than most other gods. So they recognize that. They desire to be connected to that. But the problem is they wanted that God on their terms. So Moses, while he's up on that mountain, basically getting the terms and conditions from God of how they're to worship. Moses, while he's up there, the people are impatient. They're like, we're not waiting anymore. We're going to do this our way. We're going to worship God the way that we want to do it. So they start inserting their own culture where they came from, Egyptian culture, like Devin shared, with bulls and the way that um, the gods of Egypt were worshipped. They start inserting that type of worship into the worship of the true God. 
And that gets them really far off the rails because it's said that they wake up bright and early the next day, this festival begins, or the feast, and they play, they said, and they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. The first thing I want to notice about that is that when it mentions that they play, that word play was a common, like, euphemism or, like, it implied things that have a sexual nature. So there's very well could be sexual immorality happening in this feast that they're taking part in. Um, at least, at the, at the very least, very provocative sexual things being implemented during this. Um, they're party, partying. This would be very wild and, and not the greatest thing at all. And as they're doing all of this, it's so interesting to see what the people are doing and expecting. Because in trying to worship Yahweh, they're doing all of this stuff that God clearly said, not acceptable. I don't want that. That's not how you get to me. That's not good. But for the people, they're very much okay with, eh, well, how bad could it really be? And they're willing to kind of fudge the lines around and kind of push the limits and say, well, it was okay over here. Let's just go ahead and do that. I mean, back in Egypt, no one had a problem with it there. This God's going to be totally fine with it too. Let's do it our way. So they start to, to do that as well as the, the playing, the feasting, all the craziness with that. But they're doing these offerings. So the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. The burnt offering is like an offering where you burn an entire animal. So it burns up to nothing. The second part of that, the peace offering, is where it gets really interesting. It says that a peace offering, <laughs> if you look into it a little deeper, it means sacrifice for friendship or an alliance. So again, what you see the people doing is they are doing this, this whole festival or feast for Yahweh, for Jehovah, the, the real Lord. But in the midst of doing this feast, they are doing sexual immoral things. They are getting drunk. They are treating one another in ways they shouldn't be treating each other. They are giving burnt offerings to God in order to appease him, to make an alliance with God. And it's so ridiculous because they are in active obedience how, or disobedience. How do they expect to be close to God and make God pleased while they are doing exactly the stuff God said not to do? Like, you can't do that. And while they're doing this stuff, they think they're justifying themselves. In all of the stuff they're doing, they think God's looking down on them and saying, oh, that's good. I, I, we're justifying ourselves before God by doing all this stuff. He's going to sign off on it, even though it's not what he said he wanted, but he's going to be okay with it. That's what their expectation is. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, too, the, the sacrifices. If you think about them, these are just wasted and empty sacrifices that they made, right? They gave up animals. They gave up gold to make the calf. Um, all of these things for something that did absolutely nothing for them. And meanwhile, Moses is being instructed by God in, in how to design a place of worship for God, a tabernacle that gold would go to into, into its creation, and animals would be sacrificed there. So the, the gold that the Israelites could have used to fashion the tabernacle, to fashion a place of worship for God, it was instead used to fashion an empty statue. The animals that could have been sacrificed as, as an offering to the Lord are instead wasted at the foot of an idol. And then it gets even worse in a sense than that, right? The, the eating and drinking and, and that, that play that AJ was talking about, right? That the, the people were just indulging in drunkenness and sex and doing whatever they wanted to do. 
thinking that they were worshiping God, right? Again, Moses up on the mountain being instructed on how to worship, but also how the Israelites are to participate in God's redemptive plan for, for the whole earth, right? It started back with, with Abraham and God's promise to Abraham that through his descendants that all of the nations on the earth would be blessed. And Israel at, at Sinai, they're, they're stepping into the next part of that plan of what God's doing. Um, but ultimately what the Israel is doing, right, they're, they're not stepping into that. They're just doing whatever they feel like. They're indulging in, in what they would like to do. They're trading eternal purpose for temporary pleasure. Ultimately, they're just worshiping their own warped desires. Yeah, so <laughs> you see this crazy scene. They're worshiping. They're doing their sacrifices. They're partying. They're doing all this stuff, thinking it's justifying them before God. Meanwhile, it's not justifying them. It's actually upsetting God quite a lot because it says right after this that the Lord speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, go down because the people have corrupted themselves. Now, that's interesting. That word corrupted, the actual definition of it in the original language means spoiled or ruined. So while the people are there thinking, oh, we're justifying ourselves before God. We're taking all this stuff that we used to do, but now we're going to do it in a way that makes God happy. We're going to do it our way. They're doing all this stuff, and God looks down and says, you have ruined yourselves. You spoiled yourselves. You're not useful anymore. Ultimately, what God's getting at in making that comment is that they have demolished their opportunity for relationship with him. That's what he's trying to say to Moses. That's a pretty heavy, weighty thing. What they're doing is not a joke. It's not just funny. It's not something just to gloss over. So after this moment, when God has spoken this, he says, hey, they corrupted themselves. Um, some interesting stuff happens in verses um, 9 through 14. Now, we, won't, we don't have time to read it. You guys can go read it later, but I'll just kind of sum it up super quick for you. Um, what happens in these verses is God is ready to wipe out the people of Israel. It's like they are stiff-necked, stubborn. They don't care. They turn so quickly. They deserve to be wiped out. So I will wipe them out, and we'll start fresh with you, Moses, and we'll build the lineage out from you. Well, Moses, instead of being like, cool, do that, Lord, he says, no, Lord, don't do that. And he becomes a mediator for the people of Israel. He starts to stand between the wrath of God and the people who deserve the wrath of God. And he argues for their salvation, essentially, that they would be saved. And that's what he, he talks to God about, and God relents. It says that God changes his heart and says, okay, I won't wipe them out, but you need to go down to them. You need to go speak to these people. And that's what leads us to um, the verses we will read, verses 15 through 20, if you want to read here. Or actually, before that, did you have anything? Okay. Verses 15 through 20. I was getting ahead of myself. didn't want to cut him off. Uh, it says, then Moses turned, and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. These are the tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, It's not the sound of shouting, for victory or the sound of a cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. I just want to make a quick pause. How bad must your singing be that you get mistaken for the cries of death during war? Like, isn't that kind of crazy to, to think about? Like, Moses hears all this, and he's like, 
No, that's just their singing voice. I mean, that's what's going on. Moving on, back to the serious. It says, and as soon as Moses came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire. And then he ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So Moses and Joshua wander down this mountain. They stumble back into the camp. They see everything going on. And it says that Moses throws the tablets on the ground. Um, That literally means to like shatter them. And I used to think when I read this that that was a move out of anger that he did that. And that's not actually why he did it. Um, The reason why he throws it down is that's a symbolic gesture to show the people what they have done to God. He's saying, hey, look, what you guys did, you've shattered these things that God had for you. You've destroyed it. So it was a symbolic gesture. And after, (coughs) sorry, after that moment, it says that Moses burns the calf, he grinds it to dust, and then he sprinkles it into the water that they have there to drink, and then he makes the people drink it. That's a very odd thing, but there's some important stuff happening. There's reasoning behind why. Um, Part of Moses' reasoning is to show the people that the calf has no power. You can kick it, punch it, burn it, destroy it. It's not going to do anything to you. It has no strength. It's empty. It's dead. That's what he's trying to get across to the people. Every step of the way, as they destroy this idol, it's being shown that it has no weight to actually look to. There's no power within it at all to be concerned about or to care about. And then the reason that they destroy it in such a thorough manner is, again, because, uh, because Moses <coughs> is implying that it deserves what that sin was and what they did. It deserves to be completely and utterly ruined, gone, no traces left of it. The judgment is severe. That was the idea behind doing that, as well as a couple other things. Yeah, I think in addition to um, showing the emptiness and the, the powerlessness of the idol and, and God's judgment, right, we also get an idea of how God views idols, what he thinks of them, right? Um, he completely destroyed the idol, right? Ground it up, put it in the water, and he made the people drink it. It's kind of weird, right? You're like, why, why would the people drink this? But if you think about it, what goes in must come out. And at some point, that idol was going to be turned into the people's excrement. And it's gross. It's weird, right? But it's, it shows a picture of God's view of the idol, what it was to him, right? The people deluded themselves into believing that they were worshiping God. But in God's eyes, all they were doing was offering them, offering God their excrement, their, their waste, right? And they wasted animals and gold sacrificing to this idol on something that would eventually become their own waste. It's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, the whole situation, there's so much there. And I encourage you guys to go back after this, read through it on your own, and really look into all these different elements that are there because there's application for days that you can pull out of this. But we kind of want to give you guys just a couple of quick things. This is where we'll conclude um, just in these verses. Um, from here on, we just kind of want to give you guys a couple things that you can actually take away and put into action in your own lives and, and thoughts you can really take to heart. So I'll, I'll kind of kick us off and start. Um, this is one of the things that I learned from this that I think is like a major takeaway. Um, and you guys can write this down if you want to. It's that a distorted God is a false God. 
A distorted God is a false God. So again, Israel wasn't very concerned, obviously, um, with worshiping God his way. They didn't really care too much about the details of how God wanted to be honored and the way that God wanted them to live. They were very quick to turn from what he did say to do to go on their own path. It's interesting because the reason they did that is because they didn't really know God that well. There wasn't that really very deep of a relationship with him yet. It didn't exist. So what they did, because there wasn't too much of a relationship just yet, is they decided that they were just going to throw in what seemed good to them. And this happens all the time. Um, what the people of Israel did is they looked at their Egyptian culture, and they said, what was culturally acceptable? What was good in our old culture? How did the gods want to be worshipped there? What did they say was right and wrong? And they took that stuff, and they said, okay, well, let's just apply that to God now. Let's apply that to Yahweh, and we'll say that he's okay with that stuff. So we're just going to do it our way now. Not only did they just pick and choose what they thought was right and wrong, which led to the immoral stuff they were doing in the party, but they also um, pulled from their culture in how they actually worshipped. So again, like Devin said, that the, the cow or the calf was a common piece of like religious equipment. It was commonly seen within the worship function of their culture and time. So what they did is they took that imagery and they said, well, let's just apply that imagery to our worship of God. How bad could that be? It's a representation of power. It's a representation of strength. Let's just put that on him. Why would he be upset about that? So that's what they do. Not only that, the way that they go about celebrating him with the burnt offerings and stuff, they're doing that all based on how their culture used to function. And they're saying, okay, we're going to do all this stuff, and God's just going to be all right with it. But the truth is, what they wound up worshiping by doing all of that wasn't God at all. In fact, all it was was just a dead idol. It was a false god. Had no power to do anything for them. Had no power to build relationship and bond with them. It was dead. Now, what I think is interesting about that is because when I look at that situation with the people, when the way that they worshipped, and they did, they're willing to go out on a limb and do things that they shouldn't have because of what they didn't understand. It reminded me a lot of what Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. If you think about this moment, there's this lady, um, she's a Samaritan woman, and the interesting thing about the Samaritans is they were a people group who were relatively familiar with what the Jewish people believed, um, which was that there's going to be a coming Messiah, there's going to be a Savior. The thing was, they worshipped that same kind of towards Yahweh, they worshipped the same God ultimately, but they didn't, they had a lot of things twisted. They weren't doing it exactly right. They had a lot of um, elements about how they worshiped and how they viewed God that were very off track. And Jesus says something pretty interesting to this lady when he first starts talking to her. He says to this woman, you worship what you do not know. It's exactly what the people of Israel are doing. They're worshiping what they don't know. And that sets them up for disaster. Now, Jesus, when he says this to this woman, he follows that up with something very important, very critical for us to know. Um, this is in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. It says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him, because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you want to worship God, it has to be done in truth. It has to be done in alignment with what he has said is right. 
with the way that he wants to be worshipped. You don't get to pick and choose that. And the interesting things about, about humans and humanity in general is that we were created to worship. That's literally why you exist. You exist on this planet right now to worship. Now, the interesting thing about that is that all of us will worship, whether you worship Jesus, whether you worship some other pagan god, whether you worship um, yourself, whether you're um, an atheist or agnostic. It doesn't matter. You can't not worship. That's how you were created. You will worship because worship ultimately boils down to what you focus on and fixate your life toward. So it doesn't matter what you do. All of us do that. We all fixate on things. But the thing we are to worship, to point toward, to make our main focus, the main priority of our life, is God, Jesus. He is the one worth worshiping. Now, the problem with that is worshiping God, like I said, has to be done the way that he prescribes. You can't do it just your own way or else you wind up not worshiping him. Um, our worship has to align with his truth. And that's not up for debate at all. The truth is, if we distort God's word, what he said is right and wrong. If we distort his plans, what he said we were made for, how we are to live, what we should be doing on this earth. If we distort his heart for humanity and people, what we wind up with is we've invented a false god. We've invented something that's not real. We're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping some other figment of our imaginations and minds. Something likely that serves ourselves and our own desires, that meets things the way that we want them to be. It's exactly what the people of Israel did in worshiping the calf. So <clears throat> I want you guys to know, God does offer grace because we don't know everything. And it takes time to learn and grow and understand who God is. So there is grace. God, God offers us grace to look past what we don't know. However, it's very important, God does expect us to care about the details. He expects you to care enough to get into his word and read it. If you want to worship him, don't claim that and then pick and choose a couple little things out of here. If you want to worship the true God, you have to do it according to his word, his way. It's, it's not our choice. So again, there's grace, so we're not going to know everything immediately, but we need to be in pursuit of growth and in pursuit of understanding the details deeper. Because the truth is, how we worship is just as important as who we worship. Because the how actually kind of dictates the who. How you do it is going to dictate who the worship's going to. So that's kind of my takeaway from all of this. Yeah, I think the details, like what you said, the details are so important, right? There, there's so many details in this story, and a lot of them we had to cut out. We're still over. We cut out a lot of stuff, right? So, but I really want to encourage you guys, this week, dig into this passage. Look at Exodus 32. There's a lot of details here that you can pull a lot out of that God will speak to you as you read through and, and you pray over it. But the, the challenge I, I wanted to leave with you guys uh, is this. Destroy the cow. Jesus is better. One of my good friends from Albuquerque was studying this passage for, for a Bible study we did years ago, right? Um, and he asked a question that has stuck with me ever since. My friend Sam, um, he, he asked, or he pointed out, sorry, that the idol was completely destroyed. And then he asked the question, what would it look like for us to completely destroy the idols in our lives? Too often in my life, I've just sat 
or set any idol I had just off to the side, out of sight, right? Like whether it was the idol of comfort that I worship through just trying to be at ease and, and do whatever I felt like doing in the moment or, or the idol of success that I worshiped by just trying to look really good and work hard to be, to be looked up to in my group or um, be in a, a place of leadership or um, importance in the church or ministry or the idol of relationship that I worshiped by devoting every spare minute I had to it. Any of these idols, right? I would, I would just set them to the side. Um, it, it was easier to do that, right? It was easier to just kind of put it out of the way and not think about it and go to church and be in group and do whatever, right? But the, the work is hard. It, destroying idols is hard work. I'm sorry. It takes time. Moses went through a labor of destruction, right? It was difficult but necessary work. And, and the work that Moses did revealed the emptiness of the idol and the all-surpassing worth of Jesus, of God, the Lord. Um, the best God that the Israelites could put together was turned into excrement, was waste before the Lord. It was worthless. Anything that I, anything that you would put before the Lord is ultimately worthless. We see an example of this from Paul in Philippians chapter 3, right? In Philippians 3, he gives this long list of, of all of his accolades and everything that he built his life around before Christ, that he was the most religious of people, that he had the best teacher, he followed the law perfectly, all of these things. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I've gotten rid of them. I've destroyed them in order that I may gain Christ. In the Gospels, Jesus says this in a parable, right? Matthew chapter 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field, right? He sells everything that he had accumulated before, everything that he had. It was worthless in comparison to this treasure that he found. And it was his joy. He was excited about it, right? And so I think that that same mindset of we have an opportunity to be participate in the kingdom of God, to be in relationship with God, and it is so much better than anything we might have built up, anything that we might have had before that that we sell it all, we destroy it, we get rid of it, right? The, the Israelites were offered a chance to participate in God's plan of redemption, and instead uh, they chose to make a golden cow. We've been offered a chance both to be redeemed and to play a part in God's redemptive work. There's no greater purpose or value than devoting your life to God and his kingdom, but you must destroy the cow. I'll leave you with these words of Jesus from Mark. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders, whoever destroys their idols, their distorted gods, whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to close things out today, just with that reminder of both, do we have a distorted God? Are we sitting here today worshiping not the true God, but some distortion of what we've turned into and believe maybe in our hearts that we're on the right track? And if that's the case, what do we need to do to look in the details of both God's word as well as look at our lives and say, hey, what do I need to give up? And just what Devin just shared there. 
There's, to destroy the idols means to give up your life. When we talk about the idea of taking up our cross and following Jesus, that's not just like fun language. It's not just like, ah, oh, you know, go through the hard times. When Jesus said that, what he was meaning was you need to be willing to give up your life, to go to death for this. If you want to follow me, you need to surrender your whole life. You're no longer your own. That's what we're called. It's, I think, a great reminder, like what, what you just shared there, is we have to destroy the cow and understand that Jesus is truly better. The kingdom of God is so much better than anything that we could ever make up as our idol and follow. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.